Chapter Twenty Three of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three Narrow Escapes. Having brought forward the provisions to Anotuk, Dr. Kane, with the help of Metek and his dogs, began to remove them still farther south, making one deposit near Cape Hatherton and the other yet farther near Littleton Island but an immediate journey for Etah, for walrus, had become necessary. The hard-working men were improving on this greasy food, and they wanted it in abundance. Dr. Kane found the Etahites fat and full. He left his weary, well-worn dogs to recruit on their abundance, and returned with their only team, which was well-fed and fresh. They made the trade without any grumbling. When he came back, the Brooks party were within three miles of Anatuk. They were getting along bravely and eating voraciously, and the old cry, More provisions, saluted the commander. Leaving the dogs to aid in transferring the stores to the southern stations, Dr. Kane and Irish Tom Hickey started afoot to the brig to do another baking. It was a sixteen-hours tramp, but ere they slept they converted nearly a barrel of flour, the last of the stock, into the staff of life. An old pickled cabbage cask was used as a kneading trough, and sundry volumes of the Penny Cyclopedia of Useful Knowledge were burned during the achievement. Tom declared the work done to be worthy of his own country's bakers, and he had been one of them same, so he deemed that praise enough. When the doctor lamented that the flour so used was the last of the stock, Tom exclaimed, All the better, sir, since we'll have no more bread to make. Godfrey came to the brig on the third day with the dogs to carry back the baking. But the howling storm delayed them all on board. It was Sunday, and the last time that Dr. Kane expected to be in the cabin with any of his men. He took down a Bible from one of the berths and went through the long-used religious service. The dreary place was less dreary, and their burdened hearts were no doubt made lighter by thus drawing near to God. The commander and Tom left the next day with the sledge-load, leaving Godfrey to come on after farther rest. But scarcely had the sledge-party delivered their load of bread and begun the sound sleep which follows hard work when Godfrey came in, out of breath, with the hot haste of his journey. He reluctantly confessed the occasion of his sudden departure from the brig. He had lain down on the contents of the mattresses to sleep. Suddenly Wilson's guitar, left with other mementos of two winters' imprisonment, sent forth music, soft and sad. Bill was sure he heard aright, for he was awake and in his right mind. He fled on the instant, and scarcely looked behind until he reached his companions. He had never heard of the musical genius of Aeolus, and it was not strange that the old, forsaken, mutilated, ghostly-looking brig should excite the imagination of the lonely lodger. The invalids of the huts were now doing well. Their housekeeping assumed a home-like appearance, after the fashion of arctic homes, and they welcomed the doctor with a dish of tea, a lump of walrus flesh, and a warm place. 
the Burke's party were not afar off. A storm, which outstormed all they had yet seen or felt of storms, came down upon our explorers at this time. When the storm had blown past, Morton was dispatched to Etah with the dogs, accompanied by two Etahites who had been storm-bound with the boat-parties. His mission was to demand aid of these allies on the ground of sacred treaty stipulations, and well-recognized Eskimo laws of mutual help. Dr. Kane took his place with the men on the floe. Sledging was now not only made by the storm and advancing season more laborious, but very dangerous. Around the bergs black water appeared, and over many places there were to be seen pools of water. The boats were unladen, and their cargoes carried in parcels by sledges. Yet serious accidents occurred. At one time, a runner of the sledge carrying the hope broke in, and the boat came near being lost. As it was, six men were plunged into the water. Sick and well men worked for dear life, and affairs were growing more than cloudy when the helping hand of the great helper was seen, as it had been so often. Morton returned from Etah, having been entirely successful in his appeal to the natives for aid. They came with every sound dog they possessed, and with sledges loaded with walrus. The dogs alone were equal to ten strong men added to the expedition. Dr. Kane took one of the teams, and with Metek made his last trip to the brig, and on his return commenced bringing down the invalids of the hut to the boats. As he came near the flow party, he found Olsen sitting on a lump of ice alone, some distant in the rear. He had prevented the Hope's sledge from breaking through the ice by taking for a moment its whole weight on a bar which he had slipped under it. He was a strong man, and the act was heroic, but he was evidently seriously injured. He was pale, but thought his only difficulty was a little cramp in the small of his back, and that he should be better soon. Dr. Kane gave him Stephenson's seat on the sledge, carried him to the boat, and gave him its most comfortable place, and muffled him up in the best buffalo robes. Dr. Hayes gave him tender and constant attention all that night, but he declined rapidly. Having stowed the sick away in the boats, the morning prayers being offered, the men on the 6th of June started anew at the drag ropes. Two hours' drawing sufficed to show all hands their insufficiency for the task. Just then a spanking breeze started up. They hoisted the sails of the boats, and the wind increased to a gale, and blew directly after them. Away the sledges sped towards the provision depot near Littleton Island. Ridges in the ice which would have delayed them at the drag ropes for hours but they gave them the rise and fall as they glided over them of a ship on the waves. God, who holds the wind in his fist, had unloosened it for their benefit. The footsore, weary men, who a few moments ago felt that an almost impossible task was theirs, were now jubilant and broke out into song, the first sailor's chorus song they had sung for a year. They came to a halt at five o'clock p.m., having made under sail 
the distance of five drag-rope days. While here, they were joined by old Nessark and by Sipso, the surly chief, who appears so conspicuously in the narrative of Dr. Hay's escaping party. They came with their fresh dog-teams, and offered their services to the explorers. Nessark was sent after the last of the sick men at the hut. The following five or six days were those of peril and discouragement. At one time a sledge had broken in, carrying with it several of the men, bringing affairs to a gloomy crisis. But the men scrambled out, and to still further lift the burdens from the party, five sturdy Eskimo appeared, with two almost equally strong women. They laid hold of the drag-ropes with a will, and worked the rest of the day without demanding any reward. So there was always help in the time of need. Nessark came in good time with Wilson and Whipple, the last of the sick, the old hut was now deserted, and all were with the boats except one. Hans had been missing for nearly two months. Early in April he came to his commander, with a long face, and a very plausible story. He had, he said, no boots. He wanted to go to one of the Eskimo settlements a little south, to get a stock of walrus hides. He did not want the dogs, he would walk, and be back in good time. But the hitherto faithful and trusted Hans had not returned. When inquiry was made of the people of Etah, they said he certainly called there, and engaged of one of the women a pair of boots, and then pushed on to Petrevik, where Shanghi and his pretty daughter lived. The last information they had of him they gave with a shrug of the shoulders and a merry twinkle of the eye. He had been seen by one of their people once since he left Itah. He was then upon a native sledge, Shanghi's daughter at his side, bound south of Petrovik. He had forsaken the explorers for a wife. The party were one day feeling their way along cautiously, pioneers going ahead and trying the soundness of the ice by thumping with boat-hooks and narwhal horns. Suddenly, a shout of distress was heard. The red Eric was broken in. She contained the document-box of the expedition, the loss of which would make their whole work profitless to the world, even should the party be saved. She had on board too many provision-bags. But after great exposure and labor, all was saved in good condition, and the boat hauled up on the ice. Several of the men had narrow escapes. Stephenson was caught as he sank by the sledge-runner, and Morton was drawn out by the hair of his head as he was disappearing under the ice. A grateful shout went up from all hands that nothing serious resulted from the accident. End of chapter 23